And I was like, y'all are sitting next to a stripper right now and you don't know it. Like I'm a stripper and I'm a college student. That like shook me that morning class that I was dancing at night and working and then going to a nannying job too in my afternoons. And I was like, how am I these three people? Hello and welcome to Miseducated, the show about unlearning the misguided rules from society that govern our lives. With me, your host, Cash Doherty. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Miseducated. With me, your host, Tash Doherty. This week, I'm sharing the second part of my conversation with Ruby, a nanny and stripper who first entered the world of sex work when she was interning during the summer as a student in college. In this episode, I ask Ruby all about how she balances her life as a nanny and a stripper and sex worker, and about the labour rights of sex workers when it comes to job contracts. She'll also reveal some of the threats to her personal safety and mistreatments that she's faced during out-of-club work, to give you a heads up. So yeah, not for the faint-hearted, this one. Enjoy! And so then, okay... So what, did you sign like any formal job contract? It's, I literally, they just like the exchange of them looking at our IDs was it. Like they didn't even take a photocopy of it as far as I know. Um, and that was it. Yeah, you're hired. You can come whenever you want. There's no hours. I mean, like hours of the club, but they don't have, they don't set hours for dancers. They don't <clears throat> do anything like that. You pay the ho- like a house fee um, every night and then you have to tip out the DJ, the security guy and the person keeping track of the back of house dances so you have like these tip outs but that's unwritten rule like everybody everybody does it um and you walk away with the cash that you took it's just all cash so it's kind of off the books on our end so I also like I didn't even sign yeah and this is all bad it's like I didn't have a w-10 I was not independent contractor legally um in a lot of states you have to have a license to strip um you have to be official I mean legally like this or this club is operating 100% illegally like you're not supposed to do that but yeah it was pretty easy to just walk away with your cash every day wow and I'm wondering like surely the whole neighborhood and like people around would know that this was a strip club that was like operating illegally or I guess they just figured that they had a license like yeah I mean and it, the club I was like the oldest it's like a historic landmark in LA <laughs> um it's I don't know how they how they do it they have I mean they have other staff it's like they have DJs they have this guy that keeps track of the dances waitresses they have security so it's like I'm sure they have a payroll of an employee list but something that I speculated just myself was like maybe you know some of the veteran dancers that like are consistently there or who have been there consistently there for like years like you know they're officially on their enrollment like payroll list but The world of stripping is like, you know, a girl will be there for one night and then you're never going to see her again. So you never know if like someone's going to come audition, you might never see them again. So a lot of girls, it's it's a really, really fast uh, turnover. So how long did you end up dancing at that one club then? Only like four months until the pandemic hit. And then I haven't been able to go back. 
And how many nights would you say you like dance and got? Do you like, do you think you got better enough in four months? What kind of ways were you like improving your uh, techniques and stuff? Um, definitely like what to say, what not to say. I mean, there's like, there's just like, there's so much between like the one-on-one conversations that you're having with people on the floor, um, like the actual dance techniques with a pole like my roommates and I ended up getting a pole installed in our apartment so that we could practice um so like actually learning how to dance a little bit better and like there's like a jillion tricks on how to actually shake your butt even if you don't really have a butt so like learning all those little tricks learning how to you know twist your ankles and you get a lot of tips too from other dancers about what to say how to get it how to like really you know nail a dance from someone how to keep getting dances from someone how to just, you know, empty someone's pockets, basically. Okay, um, let's start from, like, the top, like, of the things that you said. So you started first and you said, like, one-on-one conversations with customers. What would you learn there? You can't just go into it and be like, do you want to have a dance? You have to, like, play like you're interested in them and, like, just small talk. So you have to just be a good small talker, like, and be approachable and be easy to talk to. So being, like, bright and chipper, you know, the whole, like, customer service voice and just learning how to kind of be flirty in like a funny, easy way that is charming, I guess. And then you just have to sell yourself, which is kind of weird. But also like the thing is, it's like not everybody is looking for what you're selling. And you have to accept that. Like you literally will walk up to somebody and there's like, I'm a tits guy and I don't have huge boobs. So I'm just like, I respect it. Have a good night, you know? And it's like, I'm gonna move on to someone who will be my customer. And you kind of figure out who your customer is. There's definitely patterns. So certain girls will get certain guys. You figure out what guy is interested in you. And then you just hound them. And then also it's like, if after a certain point, I'm not going to keep talking to you. Like my time is too valuable. So I'm just going to say, either you can take me for my time now, or we can take it back to the back, but I'm done. So bye. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. So then as you were kind of dancing more, what kind of customers did you learn that you were able to attract? Um, let me think. Um, sometimes it would be, it would come down to a demographic level. You could break it down to demographically. And then you could also break it down like ideologically. Um, I would sometimes get like a lot of foreign guys would be interested in me. Um, and this is something that I only got in Los Angeles that I've lived is that people thought I was ethnically ambiguous in LA and I don't understand why I'm from the East coast. I am like from an Irish Catholic household. I have very Irish features which I guess in a like West Coast context, like or like a white looking person with like very curly hair, but I have full lips. So people would be like, you mixed? Like, how do you, how are you white? But you have like such curly hair. Like, I don't understand. So like people, a lot of people would just be like, what are you? So people of like different ethnicities or races would be like, are you mixed with what I mixed with? Or like, and just try to figure me out. So oftentimes it would be like not white guys and I'm white. Sometimes it would not be people of your same race, which was something that I was going into it thinking like, oh, I think it's going to be just white guys that will be interested in me. Because in stripping, a lot of times just is break, broken down by race. Like certain clubs will be black clubs, certain clubs will be Latina clubs, certain clubs will be white clubs. So I was like, you know, the club I'm in is mostly white. Probably white guys will like me. And I was pretty surprised. Like a lot of, you know, in LA is pretty diverse. Like a lot of decent amount of Hispanic, Latino and black guys would be interested in me um and usually guys like in their 30s I feel like that's like your the most age that would come in ish 40s maybe and then ideologically how does that break down 
I guess you either have the people that are there infrequently or people that like people that frequent strip clubs or people that don't frequent strip clubs and I feel like I would get a little bit of both maybe hmm I don't think I don't really know about that one I guess more I feel like more at this point in like strip culture like how it's perceived in media there aren't too many people that like go to the strip club all the time it's kind of just like oh my god like let's go to a strip club tonight or people don't regularly go to strip clubs so there's a lot of that of just people coming out after like drinks. And then when you have a dance with them, like how long would that last? What would you have to do that was different from dancing? There would be some nights where I would literally be with one customer almost my entire shift and I was I would just be getting all of their money. And they're just kind of a person that's interested in wanting to spend a night with somebody and will spend all their money on one person. Like a lot of people go to a strip club with the intention of only spending their money on one person. Um, so that in that sense would be awesome because either they buy like a VIP dance, which is 15, 30 or an hour long, um, or they just keep buying, you know, single song dances one after the other, after the other, after the other. And that will last, that can last. I mean, a song is like one dance. So that's like three minutes. Um, and yeah, the VIP is 15 minutes, 30 minutes and an hour. Um, but then, yeah, sometimes it would just be like, someone would just get a dance and it's quick in and out, but then sometimes people just want to sit and talk. And if it was like a slow night, I might, you know, engage a little bit longer, but if it was a Friday or a Saturday and like, I'm just trying to go through as many customers as I can go, then, you know, I'm just trying to make it quick. So maybe like, I would also try to look at my phone and keep track. I would try to just do like 15 minutes it was going to be a quick thing. Like, I'm not going to talk to you for more than 15 minutes because I can go to someone else who's going to get a dance and right. pay me money. Right. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and so when it comes to your own feelings about your body, did that change over time? Did you feel more like you were sharing your body with like more people or were you just, what was that experience like? I became so much more confident about my body. I remember going into it being like I I don't think I like have the right body to go into like body work like it's you're literally it's body work you know you're really selling your body and I didn't I mean I'm not like super skinny um I like have some fat on my body for sure and I was like well I don't have like a super flat stomach like is that gonna be an issue like are people you know I have all these little things about myself I'm like you know everybody has their own little insecurities but once I started stripping and you see, you like can see so much of so many people's bodies because it's like we're literally all naked. It's like a locker room atmosphere or like a sauna, you know, it's, it's, it's like a YMCA bathroom, literally. And you see all these women who are genuinely like all different sizes and they're all making money. And you're like, wow, like literally all these women also of all different ages too. It's like there were women in their forties, like that were stripping and making money, like leaving the club with hundreds of dollars and you know all different like weights like there are big women there are small women like different races and people are all making money and when it, when you come like when it breaks it down to like a, you know this capital like that means that all of these men or customers are paying for all of these different things so it's like when you break it down to that everybody is beautiful like everybody is valuable in this capital landscape so that made me super confident that I'm like, wow, like there's all these women that are doing the same job as me and we're all, we're all doing great. And 
I felt great about it too. And like, also like everyone's giving you compliments too, you know, your other, your other dancers, oh girl, like you look so good tonight. Or like, I love your outfit. Or like, your makeup looks so good. Like, oh my God, your ass is so fat tonight. Or like, and then all the guys too on the floor, like, oh baby, like you're like so hot or like never change your body. You're perfect, you know? And that boosts your ego over time for sure. Wow. After you did it for a couple of times, when does your stripping life kind of like mesh with your real life though? Like, how does mm-hmm. that happen? I remember this kind of that feeling only happening after my first night. Like I had danced, you know, my first night. I get home at like 5, 6 a.m. And at like 10 a.m. the next day. And being in my discussion and I was like, y'all are sitting next to a stripper right now and you don't know it. Like I'm a stripper and I'm a college student. That like shook me that morning class that I was dancing at night and working and then going to a nannying job too in my afternoons. And I was like, how am I these three people trying to do these three things? Um, but I'd say I definitely tried to keep it as separate as I could because I could not like expose, because I mean, stripping just has so much stigma, like so much. So that I feel like I kept it as, as private as possible. Like it wasn't something that I was flaunting like super publicly unless it was like a genuine like conversation or something, but. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, it just comes up sometimes. Yeah, like, we were chatting, and I don't even remember how it came up in our conversation, but we were just, like, drinking with my friend, and then, and then, I don't know, obviously, with the podcast and everything, I was like, this is a perspective that I think is really important, because as you were kind of saying, it's like a whole industry, there's literally, like, thousands of people who were doing this, and then, even though this, in this world, you feel, like, really normal and confident, and you're compensated for it, the contrast between that and like going into your nanning job, going into your college class, going back to your real life in a way, um, like that's really interesting. And I'm wondering, you know, do your family know that you strip? Like who knows within your circle that this is actually something that you do? Friends are aware, um, like close friends, like maybe like acquaintances, because it's just, it's not something that I'll put out there, I feel like. Um, of my family, only my sister knows. I I don't I don't feel comfortable telling my family. I don't think that they would be receptive of it. They also would just I think, and I I would be worried just about how they would feel about like their job as parents. I feel like they would feel like a a disservice or like like do you not have enough money? Like are we supposed to be like providing more or like are you not good? Like why like they'd be like there's something wrong like that you're doing this and you know it's like this is something I've completely chosen to do on my own volition and enjoy. Um, and even like I, I am still in Annie. And I like the, yesterday when I was at work, um, the family I work for was like, oh, like, are you available tomorrow? Or like, what are your, what's, what are you working? And I was like, oh, I'm, I am. My friends, you know, interviewing me on her podcast. Like, I don't think I can work tomorrow. And they're like, oh my god, like you'll have to send us the link after. Like, I, I would love to listen to it. I'm like, that's definitely not gonna happen. Like, I will not let you listen to this podcast. I'm so sorry. You will not get an extra listen. But I cannot let my the family's on Annie for know that I'm a sex worker stripper at night like unless they want to start paying me you know my body work rate so then why do you even have the nannying job at this point then like is it just a thing that you got to do during the day or yeah yeah I mean a little bit I mean also it's it's consistent like the like body work is and a COVID too and the pandemic has showed this for sure it's like it's not a guarantee it's not longevity it's also not a long-term career like I know this is not something I want to be doing in five years even um you know I can't be a stripper when I'm 55 
I mean, you can, but like you can do anything you want, but realistically, it's not something that I'm planning on really doing for that long. Yeah. So after, just, but why are you nannying again? Oh yeah. So basically just to have like, also just sense of routine, like, you know, tell my parents that I have a job that I'm making regular money. Um, it's not that bad, you know, yeah. It's still cash, like it's still under the table work. I still don't have to pay taxes on it. And also, and this is something that I learned in LA or like nannying a lot in LA, and this is different now. I'm living in Boston. Um, I like had a lot of connections through the families that I worked for because they were high profile. Um, The internship that I was talking about earlier was through a family that I nannied for. So they also provide a lot of good good connections, all these families. You know, if you're a family that can afford to pay for a nanny as frequently as it worked for all these families you can, you're probably well connected professionally too so it works but you do plan to have a normal corporate like what do we call it like the big girl brain rather than like the big girl body you do plan to like go into a corporate job at some point yeah that's something that I'm, I'm dealing with right now it's like how corporate do I want to go because I, I think um I was raised in a household with like not corporate parents who worked not corporate hours my mom was a teacher so she had evenings in the summer free and a lot of like a lot of you know the same holiday vacations that we had so that was awesome to be around and then my dad had always worked for himself or or just like as a consultant type contract worker so he was always working from home so being raised in that environment I am very um trying to stay as far away as possible from a nine to five corporate job, which I think is difficult and a privilege. We'll see. But I do want, yeah, like a real, you know, quote unquote, real person, big girl, big brain job. I don't know what that will be it. Yeah. And then after your work and stuff, the body work that you've done, how has that changed your like societal view towards like sex workers in the sex industry in general? And like, like what kind of rights and things do you think people should have access to that they don't right now? Like, I don't know, for example, having a contract so that if something happens to you at the club, like what kind of safety net do you think these women really need that they don't currently have? Yeah. I mean, definitely. Um, obviously they can't be having official, you know, better like these independent contractor positions. And like we saw that big thing with prop 10 in California, how like that happened with, you know, Uber workers, people in the gig economy just like need to be looked up for way more than they are being looked up for right now. Um, you know, women that I was dancing next to were dancing to, you know, feed their kids at home and don't have health insurance and like don't have benefits to support their families. That's bullshit. They don't have hazard pay. They don't have like, you know, they're not protected during this pandemic, like sex workers and people in body work have, been destroyed by the pandemic it's been awful and I remember like around this time last year there was a viral like twitter video of a dancer I can't remember where she was dancing but she was dancing like a three-story pole and she fell from like really high on the pole and got hurt you know on the job like on the clock but was not covered you know by any of these means because it's gig economy contract worker not covered by anything like that and then when you look at like the more sex worker side prostitution is blatantly illegal and not looked at well in the eyes of American society. And unfortunately, when there's not regulation in jobs like this, women are, or women are just ended up getting taken advantage of, you know, there's so much assault, there's so much rape, there's so much just 
heinous crime within sex work that is not able to be addressed or there's no justice because, you know, someone who gets raped on the job as a prostitute is like, hey, I'm a prostitute, but I got raped. You know, who's gonna, how can you, in the eyes of the American justice system, you're not gonna be looked at kindly. So there's a lot that needs to be done. Um, like there's so much that it hasn't even been spoken about. Like yeah. trans sex workers that are just, they're just doing this out of so much necessity, like, and they're put in this position, like, it's just, there's there's a lot of work to be done. Can you this- talk a bit about the like trans sex workers? Cause I, I just don't understand or like have much access to what that experience is like. What kinds of problems are trans people subject to in this kind of work more than cis people? Um, I guess to preface too, I'm also cisgender and I'm not going to be speaking with like cited sources or cited people. And I am ignorant to that and I don't have the right things to talk about. But I would say from what I do know is that it's just people that are trans in this um, industry are subject to significantly more violence. Um, They're in a lot more danger. And I think also like um, people fetishize trans bodies and trans people. So they're just already put in this unsafe space that their existence is fetish and is not being respected in that way. Um, And just people are not seeing these people as people. So, and then they're just not being treated as such. So, and I think trans people in sex industries are sometimes it's not always by choice or it might be something that isn't so much of a choice as a cisgender person. Yeah. And so that's also something that I feel like I should do more work on. I need to do more research on. And that's something um, that I would like to dedicate learning more about um, because I think it is something in the industry that I'm in that I should be more educated on. Yeah, definitely something worth um, looking into so we can better understand their experiences. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Miseducated. If you have any follow-up questions for Ruby or you'd like to get in touch with me, you can DM me on Instagram. My handle is miseducatedpod. Stick around and come back next week for the last part of our conversation with Ruby, where she'll share more about her experiences with sugaring, the slang strippers use in the club, and her personal aspirations now that she's gained a lot of experience in sex work. Lots of love. Bye!